Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Rules for Christian Household Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children or they may lose heart. Well, there's this section later in that same chapter, yeah. chapter 3, where we read these exhortations like, Wives, be subject to your husbands. Children, obey your parents in everything. Slaves, obey your masters. Uh, what do we do with those kind of exhortations as we read them today? How do we understand them? Yeah, these passages uh, that you find in Colossians and some other letters in the New Testament are, are typically called the household codes. They tell you what a household should look like. And we're not, we aren't quite sure to do with all of them, although those of us who are parents are pretty sure that children obey your parents and everything is one of those eternal truths, right? That, <laughs> Um, Preach it. <laughs> here's a place, um, I have a colleague who used to say this, Jesus is king, but context is queen. And here's a place where context, well, it really matters that Jesus is king for understanding these passages, but context is so important because historically, I could take you to Aristotle and show you exactly these divisions, husbands, wives, masters, slaves, parents, children, and how Aristotle wants them ordered. And um, he thinks these are different. Uh, a, a, a child and a parent is not the same as a husband and a wife. And you will see the different verbs that we have in Colossians here. But he clearly wants an order and he wants it established a certain way. And it always moves in a certain direction, right? Masters to slaves, husbands to wives, parents to children. And we have a pretty good sense of what those relationships are. So what really matters to me when we read these passages in Colossians is what Paul does with the familiar, how he takes what is familiar to ancient readers. It's not distinctly Christian. It's just the stuff of ancient household codes and says, but, but, but in Christ, it has to look like this. Mm -hmm. And if you notice almost every time the, the, the one of the pair that gets changed is what the, the higher up person is supposed to do. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. It doesn't say rule them, dominate them. It says love them. Uh, children, obey your parents, but parents or fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't let them lose heart. That's, that's your responsibility. Uh, slaves, obey your masters, but masters, a long thing about doing justice and treating your slaves right. Now, Paul may not have said everything we would want him to say, but if he, we look at what he does in that context 
and say, look at the trajectory he's charted. Look at the way he wants to Christianize these relationships. Then I think we can take that trajectory and say, where does that lead? How, how does that move on? The really interesting thing, of course, is that when we have the book of Philemon, uh, in which uh, Paul is writing to a, a slave owner about what he's supposed to do with his slave, he doesn't just say, treat him well. He does say that. He doesn't just say, do justice. He does say that. Forgive him, welcome him back. But he seems to push the boundary there with that, that man and say, you got to do a little more there. You need to treat him as a brother, not a slave. And many of us think that means you need to set him free. So there were times when Paul, um, in certain contexts and certain times, would have pushed a boundary. We would have maybe wanted pushed more globally. But watch the directions he wants to take us deep into what it means to Christianize these relationships and follow those. Dear friends, I think many of you know that I graduated from Fuller Theological Seminary back in 2013. But what some of you might not know is that Dr. Marianne Mai Thompson was one of my first professors at Fuller. You see, I came to Fuller back in 2009, having completed one year of seminary on the East Coast. And one of my professors at that seminary, when she heard that I was going to Fuller, told me, you have to take a class with Dr. Thompson. So being the diligent student that I am, I signed up for the first class that I could with Dr. Thompson. It was an introduction to the New Testament type of class. It's probably also important that you know that I grew up in a Southern Baptist church a church that didn't affirm women as pastors. I grew up reading passages like the passage that Maya read for us today, thinking that scripture said that I couldn't have a voice from the pulpit, thinking that my sense of call to love and serve the church meant that I could only work with children. Little did I know that that was actually a more important part of my call. I remember the day that I finally worked up the courage to talk to Marianne after class and to ask her, what do you do with passages like this in the New Testament? To be honest, I don't remember exactly what Dr. Thompson told me then, but I remember all of the times since then that she has shepherded me as I learned to read the Bible differently as I opened my heart and my mind to see what the Holy Spirit was calling me to, to see the course that she just described that Paul was charting, and to understand that context is key in reading the scriptures. This book is not meant to be read by individuals. These stories of our faith are meant to be read in community with one another. I love that I stand here today recording a sermon as the associate pastor of the church that Marianne attends, 11 years after that conversation. I am grateful to God for the ways that God has shaped me, has molded me to become different than I was. 
And so as we come to this text today, I want us to consider how have we been shaped by Scripture? How are we being shaped by Scripture? And what is the course that we should be on to be members of the kingdom of God, to pursue justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God? One of the things that I have always loved about Colossians is Paul's description of how we are in Christ and Christ is over us. I remember when I was a student in that same church and I had a youth leader who explained it using Tupperware. She grabbed the largest Tupperwares that she could find and some of the smallest and she put our Tupperware that was meant to be us inside of the largest Tupperware she could find. And then inside that Tupperware, she put another Tupperware and said, this is kind of what it's like. We are in Christ and Christ is in us and we are surrounded and held up and encouraged by the love and the grace and the peace that Christ brings to us. I, I love that image that she brought because I, I love the reminder that we are not alone. We follow Christ, but Christ is within us. The Spirit of God fills us up and moves us. It's one of the things that I love about the book of Colossians. The other part that I love is this open, this middle section of chapter 3. And I'm going to read it again because I think it's so crucial to understanding what's going to come in just a few sentences. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body, and be thankful. Friends, this image, this metaphor of putting on clothing of Christian virtue is such an interesting way to describe it, isn't it? Now, when you saw the title of my sermon, What Are You Wearing?, I bet you thought, well, Allie, I am probably sitting in my bed and still wearing my pajamas or my sweatpants because during times of pandemic, getting dressed has a different meaning. Well, I want you to think back to the days when we got dressed up. Our clothing signifies something about us, doesn't it? For some of us, it shows that we're intensely practical. For people like Steve Jobs, who wore the same thing every day because it was just straightforward. For others of us who are more artistic in our bent, clothing is a signifier of something about our personality or identity. It shows the world that we love color, that we are bold, courageous. If you're like me and you've watched shows like Queer Eye, you might think about clothing as a way to show that you're comfortable with who you are, with how the world sees you. 
ways to illustrate your personality and be yourself. Our clothing communicates something about us. And I don't know if that was the case in Paul's day. Perhaps it was just the practicality of the metaphor of taking things that are not ours and putting them on. But this idea of wearing our virtue so that others see it in us is key. This sense of wearing compassion, of meekness and kindness, and binding it all together with this belt of love that holds all of those things in harmony. That beautiful image of being so viewed in the world by our virtue that they see Christ when they see us. I think that is so important for reading this later part of the passage where we come to the household codes and I'm not going to try to solve the conversation about how to understand those codes in the scripture. But I think what Marianne said is correct. That we have to read it in context. That we have to read it wearing these clothes of compassion, of meekness, of kindness, of patience, of bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Friends, it's not a mystery to you or to me that the words of scripture have often been twisted, have been twisted to oppress, have been twisted to provoke hate and enmity between peoples. The words of scripture have been used to put people down and not let them up. In the name of God, horror and atrocity have been wrought upon the earth. When we don't clothe ourselves with these virtues that Paul describes, this becomes a different kind of double-edged sword. It becomes not a tool of God's kingdom, but a tool for its destruction. We somehow lose sight of the giftedness, of the calling, of the ways that God is revealing every day to us a new way forward. Because we're committed to ideas, however painful from the past, that tie us to something that just isn't true. I believe with my whole heart that God has called women and men to all the ministries of the church. I believe with my whole heart that husbands and wives and children and parents are meant to live in a kind of mutual submission, as is described in Ephesians. They're meant to respond to one another in love with peeps and patience and kindness and meekness. And certainly, there are roles and responsibilities. Certainly, children learn from us and from our example. But that should never be an excuse to demean or diminish or not see the image of God in a child. That should never be used to ignore someone, to say that their person is wrong. It should never be used to cut down and to destroy. The word of God is living and active 
for the purpose of building up and encouraging, for the purpose of correction that is done in love. So friends, these words, we have to be careful with them. We have to study them. We have to read them together. We cannot simply walk blithely and quote scripture. Nor can we simply ignore and turn away and say that was for another time and another place. We are called as a community to listen for God's voice, to see the person revealed to us in Jesus Christ, to follow after that. I give thanks to God for this community of believers that listens carefully, that discerns together how best to move forward. I pray that we'll listen to the voices of our leaders, particularly of our missions committee, as they endeavor to figure out what it means to do justice in the city of Pasadena, in the San Gabriel Valley, in Los Angeles County, and around the world. I hope that we'll listen to our leaders, the deacons, as they tell us what we need to do to care for those in our community. I hope that we'll listen to our leaders, our children, and our students, who can teach us about what it means to care for our earth and to care for them. What is it that they need from us? I hope that we'll listen to the voices of our leaders, our older folks, who find themselves in isolation these days, who don't have the technology or the capacity to learn all of the different updates. And frankly, I don't have the capacity to learn all of the updates that have to happen to be able to do what we do now in church. I hope that we will seek out their discernment as we consider how to move forward as a community. Friends, this is the word of the Lord brought to you by Maya, by Marianne, and by me. Let's pray. Gracious God, you have brought us together as a community to love and to serve in your name. We acknowledge that you, Christ, are our head and that you are in and in us. Holy Spirit, you move through us. Clothe us with compassion and kindness and meekness and patience. Give us peace and bind that together with love so that we may read your word and do your work. That we may know the community gathered, even separate. That we may sense your call for us to love our neighbor in these most desperate times. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.